Hello, and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. In this episode, we'll be talking to Arlen Hamilton, founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital. Arlen built a venture capital fund from the ground up, all the while homeless. Backstage Capital is a venture fund dedicated to minimizing funding disparities by investing in high potential founders who are people of color, women, and or members of the LGBTQ community. Since its founding in 2015, Backstage has invested more than $20 million in more than 180 companies with plans to raise up to $30 million for its newest fund. In 2018, Arlen co-founded Backstage Studio, which launched four accelerator programs for underestimated founders in Detroit, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and London. She was featured on the cover of Fast Company magazine in October 2018 as the first Black woman non-celebrity to accomplish this venture. Arlen's book, It's About Damn Time, published in May 2020, chronicles her journey from being homeless in SF to running a multi-million dollar investment fund and the lessons learned along the way. So Arlen, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We are very excited for you to join us and hear about your experience pioneering a movement in the venture capital space. You are the only Black queer woman to have ever built a venture capital from scratch that empowers people who might not be on the spotlight to start companies and to leverage their voice. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your inspiration for building Backstage Capital? I sure can. And before I do, I want to say that I'm not the only. I'm one of the first, but I'm not the only. Uh, Monique Woodard is a good example of someone who that description applies to and others, you know, in the past. But um, the inspiration and and you're not the first person to think that um, because it's been written about, but I just want to correct it. Um, the inspiration came from just a few years ago. I was uh, had no background in tech or, or venture, but from the outside, I could see that a lot of capital was going just to white men in the United States, and they only make up a third of the country. And so at first, I was just, uh, I couldn't understand it, and I was curious about it. And so I thought, let me research more and talk to founders and see what they think, and if if it's real, if that's really the case. and. The more I dug in, the more people I met from all over the country who were entrepreneurs and who just had vastly different experiences depending on what they they looked like and who they were and where they came from. It didn't seem fair to me and it didn't seem smart to me. It didn't seem savvy. These investors were supposed to be people who were on the cutting edge and you can't get more on the cutting edge than like really looking at the population of this country. We also wanted to ask, since your whole mission is to bring access right to funds to women, people of color and LGBTQ founders, you've stated that you see this as one of the biggest opportunities in investment. And we've heard over and over how this is framed as a pipeline problem. Could you tell us a little bit more of your experience as an investor has shown that the pipeline is not really the issue? Sure. I mean, at Backstage, we invest in women, people of color, and LGBTQ founders. So just anyone who fits one or more of those characteristics. And we, first of all, we get so much inbound that we had to start a an application process even before we had an accelerator. So 
first, we just see so many companies and not all those companies need venture funding or should have venture funding, but they're all interested. And they're all building something and they, and a lot of them already have revenue, generating revenue, have employees, if not doing it themselves, but have a lot of, um, of income coming in and have figured out the, the product market fit that so many, that eludes uh, so many, so many other uh, founders. And so every year it goes up, the number goes up, um, but we see at least a thousand companies a year and we invest in 2% of what we see. So this year and in, in 2020 and 2018 for our 2019 uh, accelerator, we had 1900 applications in five weeks. And that was across the world. And it was it just blew us away because we thought uh, we, we found out that Techstars, their first, their first year had 300 applications. So we were like, Hey, we can get like, uh, 800 applications, invest in 20 or so companies, that'd be pretty amazing. Or if we hit a thousand, that's just out of the park and we just can't even, we can't even look at more than a thousand. Hit 1900 in five weeks, had to shut it down. And then we invested in 24 companies. And then every year after that, it's just only gotten more, uh, gotten you know fuller. And the quality has gone up as well. So the competition for investment is is higher than it's ever been, in my opinion, when it comes to founders from underrepresented backgrounds. Finally, we're in a position where some of that money is coming our way and coming the way of founders who are underrepresented. But, you know, it took too much to get to this point, I think. You really want to focus on this kind of gender aspect of the discussion. As you may be aware, there is this idea of uh, women, unfortunately, being asked a lot of prevention-based questions, for example, asking about the risk mitigation as opposed to a more pr- promotionally-based question, uh, such as asking about revenue and growth that are often associated with uh, male entrepreneurs and founders pitching to VCs. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, on these ideas and how you generally approach acknowledging biases as an investor. Absolutely familiar with that just because it happened so often. It was happening behind closed doors. And then I think 2017 kind of blew the, the, the room open, you know, the door open on that and then on the on the gender disparities. And then just in general, this hap- this types of type of thing happens too. You know, I, I know so many black founders, especially two and three years ago, who wouldn't even put their name or their sorry their 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 picture on their own websites because they knew that some people would not be their customers if they thought it was run by a, a Latinx founder or a black founder or other and I think people get they get so surprised to hear that but it's so true and these are like people who are very um, who have a lot of talent and and very successful and still have to deal with that almost like it's it's normalized. So we we absolutely um, you know one of the first things that usually happens in a pitch with me uh, specifically because we have several people on our team who look at companies and who can make investment decisions, but I try to tell them pretty early on if I if I feel any sort of um um kind of role playing or like trying to talk to me a certain way because they're so used to doing that with other investors, I try to let them know that they don't have to sell me on them. They don't have to sell me on the fact that they should be in this room. You know, they got themselves here. I want to know about the company. I want to know, yes, about their background and why they want to do this. But 
so many times we're, we're forced or put into a, a back against a wall to, to try to just explain why we should even be there in front of that person to begin with. And I've been there so many times, so I get it. And there's also, if anyone wants to go to arlensacademy.com, there's actually a, a, a free course on that academy that Laura Huang um, has done for free. She's kind of um, sponsored it with her book. And she it's like 20 or 30 minutes long. And she's a she's an author and a professor at Harvard. And she's just so cool. And like the way she describes how to go into those meetings is so helpful. So if you're interested in that, it's free and you can just sign up for it. And, and she's, it's just amazing. And it kind of gives you a lot of confidence when you, when you finish it. I was wondering if you could just building off of what we just talked about, give us a little bit, maybe one or two different types of advice that for women or other people of underrepresented minorities navigate these hardships within the world of investors and VC funding? Um, how should they position themselves for a greater chance of success? I know that you talked about how you have in Harlan Academy some resources, but if you could share that with our audience just so that they get a feel, we would really appreciate that. Well, my thing is always going to go back to authenticity. And I, I, I personally will not be the person who preps people for like, you know, this is the, these are the three steps. Although Laura does that, which is really cool. My thing is as a, as a founder of a company that has to raise money itself. Like, so I've raised millions of dollars in the last five years. And as someone who invests money and I've invested millions of dollars, time is going to always reveal the true self. And it, it takes a lot of energy and wastes a lot of energy trying to be someone else trying to contort yourself into what you're supposed to be for the person in the room who's maybe writing the check or making that decision. And I also can tell you as someone who has spent the first 35 of my 40 years without money, like truly poor in the poverty poverty line, that there is no check that's worth uh, changing who you are just to, to be there. Now, of course, there's like professionalism and there's like bringing your best best self and, and sort of putting your best foot forward in a pitch for sure. But I see so many people and too many people who try to like mute themselves because they don't want, they just want to be like cookie cutter because they think that's what's going to give them the edge. They also think, you know, I, I need this money, so I'm going to just kind of play this role. And that that gets old after a while because you either have to play that same role forever with that person or those people, or you start to lose that energy to do so, and then maybe the person isn't feeling you as much, and so you have problems later on, and both are not cool. So it's better to go into a meeting, prep for it, be ready, have your answers about your company, about your numbers, know yourself, your stuff back and forth, but be okay losing out on the deal if the person is not feeling you, because it's not worth it, and also there's like money, there's money to be found other places, including your control of bootstrapping. You have more control than you think you do. We'd like to switch the conversation, switch gears a bit and discuss Backstage Crowd and also back uh, the partnership with Republic and Backstage Republic. It, it has been amazing to, to follow 
this, you know, mission of really inspiring the everyday investor to really, you know, take ownership and really engage in as an investor. And we'd like to hear from you about your motivations and I guess a forward uh, thinking vision for these initiatives. Sure. So backstagecrowd.com is where you can go if you want to invest alongside of, of us at Backstage into companies. Some of the deals that we have that we negotiate, we share some of the allocation with others. And so the first, the pilot of that was June to November of 2020, where we have, uh, where we did 10 deals and we did them back to back. 10 deals, $1.6 million was raised across those deals, anywhere from 50000 to 500000 per deal. So it was a really, really exciting launch to that. And we'll continue doing a few of those um, uh, each year as we have more and more allocation. And as we have more funds under management, we'll be taking more and more allocation, but still sharing what we can with uh, the crowd. And so backstage crowd, you can be an accredited investor and do some of those deals, or you can be an, an unaccredited investor and we'll point you to some of the deals that we're going to on, on crowdfunding. Now, separate from that, but you, with some of the same players are involved. Uh, in December or so, maybe November, I decided that I wanted to kind of shake things up and see what we, we celebrated our fifth year uh, anniversary in September of 2020. And the question is always what happens next? What's the next five years? What's the next 10 years? Um, so I decided that I wanted to share in my upside essentially at Backstage Capital. So I own most of Backstage Capital as I think, you know, makes sense. And then employees at Backstage who are partners and principals and other employees past and present have ownership as well. And so I said, well, as the majority stakeholder here, it's going to be a lot more fun in my opinion for the next decade or so to do this with a lot more people and like just enjoy it with a lot more people. So I said, you know, we have that and also like we've never had the luxury of runway for more than like two or two months or so. We're always paycheck to paycheck at backstage because of the model. And so I said, what if we did a crowdfunding where we took on some runway, got a couple of years, two or three years worth of runway so we can just do our thing and share some of our upside on both our carry, which is our profit and our management fee, which is a yearly fee uh, that we could have. And it hasn't um, really been done this way before in the United States. So we had to spend about two months on compliance and legal with the SEC and with our legal team and with Republic to kind of forge our own path and make something work. And so February 1st, we launched a $1.07 million raise, thinking it would you know, sell out for sure, but thinking it would take several days. It sold out in nine hours, which was the fastest raise on Republic's platform in its history. And so um, you can still join the wait list at republic.co forward slash backstage. And depending on when you listen to this, um, there may or may not still be allocation um, in the future. We wanted to ask you, what does an equitable world of investing look like for you? And kind of what makes you get out of bed in the morning to work towards that goal? Sure. It looks like things not being so difficult for so many of us just to be normal, just to be, just to live. 
you know, that phrase, can I just live? <laughs> like it's that being possible without us having to qualify everything, you know, cause I know most people who are underrepresented in, in a lot of ways, we just want to do the work. Like we just want to work. We want to do our thing. We want to create, we want to start a company. We want to do this or that. And we don't necessarily want to spend every waking second um, worried about our safety or worried about the way people are talking to us or worried about our fellow person constantly. And so I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but I do. I work towards it every day. It's just sort of like you're in the room because you're supposed to be the other person in the room because they're supposed to be. It is true diversity as well. So I do think that white men have to play a part in it. And I'm excited about that future. Um, but it's just us being us and doing our thing and, and there being a true American dream, which, you know, I don't see it yet, which is you can do anything, you can become anything, and you don't have to do so by being able to sing or play a sport. That would be really cool as well. Would you have any words of advice for budding entrepreneurs, people in the FIA community who are young women trying to start their entrepreneurial careers, mainly in the healthcare space, but honestly, anything just kind of follow what we're doing. I have a book called It's About Damn Time uh, that came out in 2020. gives a lot of insights there. One of the things I talk about in that book is about, uh, especially for younger people kind of starting out, is about kind of planting a flag and saying to the world what your opinions are. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes your opinion is different than other people and you have to kind of stand in that. But I found that I don't think I'd be where I am if I hadn't written a blog post in 2015 that kind of kicked things off to say, you know, this is wrong the way that the venture is right now. And it was it was scary to do so. And it, and it had a kind of a controversial title to a dear white venture capitalist, you know, but it told people who I am and what I believe. And so everyone here, you may not have connections and you may not have a lot of money, um, but what you, one of the things you have at your disposal is the ability to start something, write a blog post, start a podcast like you all are doing, go to social, post your thoughts, go to Medium, things like that. And that is when people will start to find your opinions who are interested in what you have to say. And that can lead to so, so, so much. You have to stick with it. It doesn't happen overnight, but it can be so rich and rewarding. Um, and I can't think of anything that has a larger ROI than that investment. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at Thea HC, and on our website at theahc.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing audio editors, Ellie Park, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Katie Donahue. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting our podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash thea-hc slash support.